Hello, I'm Carrie Gard and welcome to Tea Time Tech Marketing Leaders. For me, disruption is making sure that our product is, you know, making an impact. It's being seen. Welcome back. So excited to have you all here as I am talking about a very near and dear topic that has gotten a bit of controversy lately, which is interesting. And so I'm excited to share this with you. Before I get into it, this week I am joined by uh, Cameron Regano. She likes to go by Cami, so you hear me call her Cami a lot. Cami has actually been in the cybersecurity business for the last nine years in terms of marketing these companies. She's currently the VP of marketing at SiteGate, where she is helping them build their brand from the ground She's using the story brand framework, which I have been studying for years now. I actually think it's a very useful and helpful platform and framework to start with. However, uh, and, and Cami uses it and she talks about how she uses it, which I think is great. And the way she uses it is really intentional and thoughtful. And the reason why it's getting a little bit of a bad rap right now is because some people are using it. I don't want to say incorrectly, as it's a framework, so you can use it however you want. But in terms of cybersecurity and this idea of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, some people are leaning into the framework um, in a way that gives it a bad rap in terms of being able to create content that's very much banking on fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's very easy to get caught in the trap of using, using it in this manner. And Cammy and I break it down as to how that happens and how to avoid it. I love this conversation. Cammy is, like I said, she's been cyber for nine years. She is the VP of marketing at Sightgain. A little bit more about her is that she is an innovative and success-focused marketing executive with an advanced understanding of B2B marketing, initiating new campaigns, developing sales strategies, appealing to large enterprise and business accounts, and generating cutting-edge marketing initiatives. She's a natural leader. She oversees cross-functional teams and ensures high efficiency and productivity. She takes pride in mobilizing new employees and ensuring that the staff is successful. With a diverse range of skills across print and digital channels, including social media and email-based campaigns, she's able to reach larger audiences and maximize profitability through multiple avenues. She excels with strict deadlines and mitigates risks through research and strategic planning. And that's really where this conversation comes in is she does the she does the upfront work to really set the brand up for success in using this framework. She's won awards uh, in 2020 for Op Stars of the Year and Cybersecurity Marketer of the Year, as well as Lean Certified Expert. Um, and she's got even a little certification number there for you to check out on her LinkedIn profile. I really love this conversation with Cammy. I thought it was really nice to have see somebody using this framework in a really thoughtful way. And I think y'all will enjoy it. So however you listen to podcasts, pop on some headphones, take a walk, walk your dog, go outside, go for a run. Or if you want to take notes and lean in, then you can do that too. Whatever suits you. But uh, let's take a listen. Hi, Cami. Thank you for joining me on Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Uh, of course. Thank you, Carrie. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. I'm stoked to have you on. 
I am so excited. I know we've been talking about this for about a month, so I'm glad we oh were able to sit down and chat. <laughs> Only a month? Oh, man, time flies. Before we get into, now that we've teed everybody up and they're on the edge of their seats for what we're about to talk to today, before we get into that, why don't you tell us your story, Cami? What do you do and how did you get there? Yeah. Um, so currently I am the VP of marketing for Sightgain. Um, I am relatively new to this role um, in terms of how long I've been at Sightgain for, and um, it's been really exciting, challenging, and, you know, I've been learning a lot along the way, being the very first marketing hire, um, and a lot of, you know, what I, um, the knowledge and the experience I had um, prior to Sightgain really, I think, helped me to get um, in this position. So I actually started um, in sales. Uh, my first job ever, I sold Symantec and Veritas um, in the uh, sled industry on the East Coast region. So um, that was really fun. I was held accountable for a pipeline. Um, and it was the bigger company. So really helped me to get my footing, I would say in marketing, because, um, being, you know, definitely more on the B2B side, I like to make sure that I understand the pains that the sales team is going through, because if you don't, um, it's really hard to have a really solid relationship, um, with, you know, your counterparts in revenue. So um, that's uh, kind of how I started. And that's what I look for also in people that I want to work with um, in terms of on the marketing side. Um, and then I've been at, um, oh my gosh, I think Psyching is my fifth cybersecurity startup. Um, so I've been a little, little bit of everywhere. Um, my most recent before Psyching was Cyberary. Um, I was one of the first 10 employees. They are now over 100. Um, I was there for five years, um, was definitely the most growth in um, my career, but also personally, I learned a lot about myself, how I like to work, how I like to be, you know, challenged in the work life and also being at a startup that's very, very demanding um, and in hyper growth, it's very different um, than any other startup I had worked at previously. So learning how to balance your work and your personal life was um, definitely something that took me a while to learn, but I'm a very big, big advocate for it now because you don't want people burning out. And, you know, you want to you want to ensure that um people are being able to also put their best foot forward. And that doesn't happen when there's no work-life balance. Um, so yeah, that uh, Cyberary was, um, you know, that it was such a great company, um, still is a great company. Um, and they, you know, they've just been in this growth stage for um, probably the five years, like they're still mm -hmm. in it. So that's really cool to see. Um, but all of the experience, me being fully held accountable to pipeline, working in conjunction with sales, revenue, having that relationship with sales, I think really helped me to get where I am because everything that I do, I, I you know, I'm very big on data driven marketing and working cross-functionally within sales, but also, you know, you have that product, the engineering team. 
stuff like that. So it cyber made me very well-rounded in being held responsible for um, pipeline, which was very detrimental to mm-hmm. uh, revenue at the company, but also, you know, holding me responsible as a leader to make sure that we were, you know, cross-functionally working together towards, um, you know, the right goal and, and all that fun stuff. So I have so many questions. Um, it sounds like you've done this, this whole, like joining a startup early stage and helping them grow thing five times now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Why cyber? I mean, did you just happen to like land in cyber or cyber always been the place? What's, what's your journey Uh, there? You know, it, I never like in college, I actually studied public relations. I wanted to go into either entertainment or crisis um, communications uh, and that yeah, very different. But leaning on the crisis side of things, it I realized that um, a, like I don't want to say a stressful environment, but a pressure filled environment I thrive really well in. Um, I got my, you know, my first job in sales, which happened to be a technology sales working for a distributor. So it it just kind of opened the doors for me. Um, and I never really looked back once I was able to get my foot in the cybersecurity door. I think that this industry is there's never going to be a lack of jobs. Um, and the longer you're in it, you you also and I might be biased, but I think cybersecurity marketing is probably one of the hardest types of marketing um, there is in terms of industries, just because you're talking to some of the smartest people in the world. Um, And, you know, being able to continue to not only hone in on my skills to make sure that, you know, I'm appealing to the, the right persona and I'm speaking more of their language instead of the marketing language that you see Um, It's something that I also wanted to continue to do. I love learning. That was a really big thing for me as well. And I I thought that I would have the most opportunity and challenging opportunity in cyber. So I've just just stayed and, you know, I've continued. I I do love it now. At first it was like, this is this is hard. Um, (laughs) But once you get your footing and you have, you know, support from not only, you know, the people that you're growing with, but also from leadership mm-hmm. to um, fail forward. That was uh, the biggest thing for me was I was given an opportunity um, to build and do so many different things, but it was always about failing forward. It was never about if you fail, what, like, you're gone. It's like, okay, you failed or you didn't do what you thought. What did you learn and how are you going to make it better next time? And that, you know, it, and that's, I think, across all industries, not particular to cyber, but that is where I've had my most experience is learning those, those fails through the cybersecurity marketing, you know, industry that there is. Iterate, 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 iterate. Yeah. Yeah. Learning is through failure. How are we supposed to learn if we don't make mistakes uh no one is perfect sorry to break it to y'all but no (laughs) No one no one and it's working in that environment is just it's so great because you don't it's not that you feel bad because you're learning and you're becoming better you also don't have time you know you don't have time to wallow in your failure you gotta pick yourself up and keep going yeah and you you just keep going and you just make it better and you know you make yourself better I totally love this and totally agree. 
I think this is going to transition nicely into our core conversation. But before we get there, before we get there, Cammie, tell me, what's one challenge you're currently facing? That is such a good one. Um, I think there's, it's probably twofold. Um, Right now, I am the only marketer on um our team uh and you know we're we're definitely very early stage i think there's like seven employees um and so it's it's really interesting going from you know i was in that position um in terms of like how many employees there were five years ago but now being in you know an executive position that's not only focusing on marketing but also helping to create the culture of the company and make sure that we're, you know, building something that one, our customers are going to love and talk about, but also our employees. We want them to work, you know, in a place that makes them happy, challenges them, encourages them to learn every day. So that's definitely been on like a personal, um, it's been a little challenging balancing both of those things. Um, but I'm, I'm learning how to, uh, time block a little bit better to make sure that I'm able to accomplish um, more of the revenue impacting things as well. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, and I feel like this is just, it's always the biggest thing, right? It's just messaging tone. Um, we are, you know, they've, um, we are going through a rebrand right now, a very big rebrand. Um, I'm very into more of the disruptive marketing. Um, so I, I definitely challenged um, our executives to to take a step back from what they'd been doing the past um, I think it was a couple of years. Um, so getting everyone on the same page in terms of this is how we, you know, want to talk to um, this type of person, this persona. This is how we want to talk at a brand level. Um, is definitely very interesting, but I will say I have a great executive team and they are so open and willing to work with me. And they're also some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. So it also is very beneficial to me to be able to have those types of people in my corner to bounce things off of back and forth. So I would say those two things um, are currently kind of the challenges that I'm going through. Which leads beautifully into our conversation today because it is about messaging and how you position yourself, which I think is really interesting that you said that you're challenging the your executive team to be more disruptive. So what does disruptive mean to you? You know, I think that I like I look at going to um like Black Hat. I went to Black Hat for the first time in years. Um, since the pandemic or even before that. So going there, I just like, there were so many, like nothing really stood out and caught my attention. Um, There's always the big brands, right? That have so much money to spend and, you know, can do it all up, which is amazing. But being a company that is not, you know, does not have a huge marketing budget. There's a lot of, creative things that you can do that are out of, I feel like more of the the normative marketing that you see, that's kind of like in more ingrained in those um, companies that have 
you know, been around for quite some time. Uh, so for me, disruption is making sure that our product is, you know, making an impact. It's being seen um, within this industry where there's thousands of vendors um, and, you know, sticking out like something that was really big for me was our colors. Um, we were right now we're blue. And I was like, absolutely not. We like that. just <laughs> And, it, you know, we all talked about it. And it was so funny because we're working with this agency right now. And they were like, without even knowing that I had said that they were like, they had like done a competitive analysis. And they're like, so everyone is blue. You guys really need to get away from blue. I was like, well, don't worry. <laughs> we're working we're already on, on it. <laughs> yeah, we're already on it. Um, and I think that there's also a way that you can present yourself from the brand level that that is different and involves, um, I think, and everyone's, you know, doing content, thought leadership, stuff like that. But engagement um, is a really big piece that I'm um, having my executive team work on from their own um, like personal standpoint because I want them engaging across LinkedIn, you know, reaching out to those CISOs, those risk officers within companies that we're trying to make customers, like comment on the posts that they're getting out there, you know, challenge the posts that they're getting out there, ask people for feedbacks, don't just post a blog and like, or like repost a blog that CNN had, like I'm really challenging on the engagement front so that when people look at SiteGain, it's not just our colors, our logo, what our product is, but you also see our leadership and even our employees really ingrained into what our product is doing across the cybersecurity industry. So that's such a challenging thing for executives, I find, to sort of wrap their brains around of like, well, what do I need to be doing on LinkedIn? Nobody cares about what I have to say. And like, what do I need to be out there for? And it, mm-hmm. and that feels very important imposter syndrome to me mm-hmm. right like I mean if you're trying to get your brand out there and and to have a voice people buy from people so yeah. it's not just about site gain but it's about who built site gain and why you built site gain and your story and the power of that but the this imposter syndrome sort of creeps into executives brains and and they feel like they're not worthy enough to contribute to LinkedIn yeah. and the greater good I think you, you know, you hit the the nail on the head there because that's that's a really good way to look at it because you know you have these CISOs from huge companies that you know and you know I've never been a founder or anything, but I'm sure that's intimidating. Um, and but at the same time, like look at look at what you did. Like you have gotten X amount of series of funding. You have employees. People are backing this idea that you have. So I think. And on LinkedIn, sometimes I feel like people um, are a little bit more nervous to post their opinions like in the beginning, but there are quite a few people that like I follow that post religiously. And I feel like once you get in that habit of not only posting, but engaging, it becomes second nature. And it's also on the personal side, it really helps you too become, you know, I want people to reach out to um Christian, he's our uh, founder, like 
to comment on an article and that is more PR, but like, imagine if someone just came across a, a comment that he wrote on LinkedIn and was like, wow, this is super interesting. I want to talk to him more about this. Like you want people kind of coming to you as that thought leader and asking for some more knowledge. So that's, that's where my head is at. And I need to do the same thing, honestly, on my end, because if I'm going to be asking my executive team to do it, I really want to also, you know, do it. I've, I've done it kind of behind the scenes before, but I want to do it myself as well. Which is why you're here. And I'm so excited to have you, Cammie. Um, but I think this engagement piece is really important and the the habit piece is, is helpful too. So what are some things you do? You're obviously joining a podcast. Yay. Um, what are, in terms of, is there a certain like every day you do specific things? You said you talked about uh, schedule blocking. Like, do you have every day you wake up and these are these are the LinkedIn things you do at certain times and you tell your executives to do that? What sort of tips and tricks do you have there? Yeah. So time blocking is huge for me. And I typically try and do it a week out um, because what I've set forward is a six month plan. So I have a timeline of um, when I'm supposed to hit objectives. So by following that plan and the objectives I have to hit in like the month of October, I'm able to time block those things out in advance um, to make sure that I hit my goals because you're also going to be in meetings. People are going to, you know, want you to be listening to gong calls. And, you know, I have sales, sales development under me at, um, at SiteGain. So also, you know, managing someone, I want, you know, you have to make sure that you're also getting time in to do the work necessary. So time blocking is huge for me. And I actually, um, you know, it's really funny. I'm um, a bit of like, I'm very type A procrastinator, or a um, little bit of a perfectionist, but I am a procrastinator, um, which is so interesting, right? Like I want this thing to be perfect, but then I wait until like the day of, and then I crank it out in the morning. But that, when I am up at like five or 6 a.m. just cranking through something like again crisis PR I like the pressure <laughs> um it just like kind of invigorates me and I get excited about what I'm about to be like talking about or presenting because it's almost like there's a rush of um you know completing a project doing the project um but that I you know it's I don't think it's the best habit but who's really to say if you know what's right or wrong so that helps but yeah. And then also I try to um, take, I try to get a walk in every day, whether that be in the morning before work, during work, at lunch, like I need a minute to decompress, think through things, um, stuff like that. So that really helps. And the other thing, this might be a little weird. I don't know if people dream about work, but I sometimes have dreams about work. So I have like a dream uh, work book that sits nice. next to me. Um, so like when I wake up at 3am, I was like, Oh my God, that's such a good idea. I can just jot it down. So I don't remember. <laughs> or so I, remember. I love that you have good ideas in your dreams because a lot of us have nightmares. <laughs> so that is fantastic. I know it's super um, interesting. Yeah, that is super interesting. But I love what you're talking about. Um, I, so for me, I'm sort of similar where I tend to do my best work at the last minute, but I feel like it's because my subconscious is processing it. Yes, that's and, a great way to put it. And then when I sit down, I can like be like, okay, now I now I'm in a place where I can really just like let my brain dump and make it happen. But yeah, I'm I'm similarly. I like I need that sort of tight time frame and don't give me long deadlines. 
do not. <laughs> I, I'm like, better with I need it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, no, I am the same way. Put me, put me under the gun. Like, yeah, I let's need go. I would say why. I love it. Um, so in terms of your messaging and your tone, and you've done this five times now, how where do you start? Yeah. Um, so uh story branding, right? That uh was by far is the most influential book I've I've read um for me in the marketing space by Donald Miller. Um, it's called building a story brand, um, 10 out of 10 recommend. It's amazing. If you're having trouble, um, really trying to create the story and tell the story of what your company is out there trying to do. Um, so at Cybrary, when I got there, you know, they originally had hired me on, um, to go to events and get leads for the B2B product that was like three months old. Um, and we had already had a platform of over a million people, um, and it, which was incredible, right? But when I got there, we were only collecting the username and the email. That's all we were profiling. Um, and I think we all took a step back, all 10 of us at the company. We were like, why aren't we using our own lead database to sell our product to? Um, why are we spending all this money sending these two girls to events when we already have this in-house? So um, we essentially implemented a uh, profiling, as you could call it, system to really start to build out the B2B funnel. So like, so I get there, right? And we don't know who's using our platform. We just know we have a lot of people. So we get to the point where, okay, we now see who is using our platform, um, what they're doing and, you know, the things that they're interested in, but we still were having issues um, hitting like some revenue targets. And um, we took a step back and we basically broke um, our product down or I'm sorry, our audience segments down to four categories, which was students, practitioners, think um, analysts, uh, engineers, um, manager and directors, and then senior leadership. So we created these essentially four categories. And what I was challenged with was, how are we going to message these people to sell our B2B product. And also we have a consumer, we had a consumer product as well. So, you know, we did this huge exercise. It also involved the sales team, which was great. And, you know, I'm a huge proponent for sales being in the mix because they're the ones that are telling the story. That's the most impactful. Their story is what's going to sell or not the product. So we involved sales and we essentially went through and did a story brand for each of those audience segments. And we were able to determine how are we the guide for, for students and that because students was probably one of our bigger segments and we really wanted them on our consumer side. So, you know, we had built out this thing called career paths. And I think we were one of the first people to really build out career paths 
in terms of like having a product that went along and trained you for that career path, what you wanted to get. So building those out, becoming that guide for these people that wanted to break into the cybersecurity industry was so impactful because we are telling them how they can do this now and how sci and you know, this is how you become the hero of your own story and get to where you want to get. And cyber is going to be there step by step, guiding you through this process and, you know, giving you um, access to these amazing mentors that we have, this uh, huge catalog. Um, so that was super impactful on our consumer side. And then it got a little interesting on our um, B2B side, I would say, because analysts and engineers, you know, they, they had a job. If that is, you know, if they're telling us that they are doing X, Y, and Z, um, they are with a company. So we, you know, tried to do a lot of the B2C to B notion because technically this isn't someone that can make a decision and they would be a good candidate for our consumer product as well. But there's also that story that we can tell to, you know, a manager and senior leadership of, hey, you have X amount of employees coming to Cybrary, not using the training that you're providing at the company and coming to a third party platform platform to skill up and grow within their career. Um, let me tell you that we can give like we can basically, you know, help you to grow your own people, you know, don't have them going to third party training resources when you can do that in house, implement it into their every day um, and essentially help to combat attrition within within the SOC. I mean, I think what average SOC analyst lasts 18 months at, at a company. So the analyst and um, or the practitioner side of things was was super interesting for us because we also could ask essentially these practitioners to bring their manager in for a demo. Like, hey, did you know your company could be paying for this for you? Why why are you spending your own money? Bring your manager on board, and we'll give you guys you know premium access to our cyber for team so you can see what that's like in a team environment. Um, so figuring out how we could guide those um, practitioners that are trying to skill up and become those managers was definitely interesting. And a lot of, I think, um, cybersecurity vendors, like they're, it's not about skilling up or the employee side of things. And I think that it wasn't, very common in the place that, you know, you had the cybersecurity company reaching out and telling you the steps that you could take to help you get from an analyst and, you know, go to tier two, tier three. Um, and so that was really fun to figure out. And we also were able to, to zero in on if like certain segments were gravitating towards certain um, courses or career paths or labs and, and double down there. So also using their activity. And once we noticed an engagement with a course for like longer than X amount of time, we could then um, nurture them 
to, you know, push them to continue on with this because it's going to help you to finish this career path, stuff like that. Um, so the, that's kind of what we, you know, we had both sides of the consumer product and the B2B product within our, that middle segment of practitioners. Um, and then I kind of already talked through what we were doing on, you know, the leadership side. Um, there was, you know, a lot of people were also coming to Cyberay for themselves. They weren't coming necessarily because they knew that we had a B2B business product. So there was product education that we also had to do um, on the marketing side when, you know, these, we, we called them um, NRUs and registered users, when they were registering on our platform, which you can do for free and get access to our free um, content that we provided. Um, we, we had to figure out how do we tell the story of our product and how will this solve the pain points that you're facing right now in your job role? Um, I think that there was, there's, I, well, there's always going to be a, a lack of, um, jobs filled, right? Is that the right? Yeah. There's always this huge cybersecurity, um, skills gap that, it's just, I think it's always going to be there. There's not enough people. It's changing so quickly. Yeah. And it's yeah. just constantly changing. Yeah. And so we basically had to, you know, how do we help you to make an onboarding program that when you bring on a new um, analyst engineer, you can already upfront have a plan for them for the next six months and help them to harness their skills um, stuff like that. So a lot of it was really trying to pull on those pain points that we knew that they were having trouble with. Um, there, we basically came up with, there were five use cases around why a person would need cyber for business. Um, and it definitely, you get, once you're down the funnel, um, we get a better sense of how that use case is really relating to the customer. And we had like different slide decks that sales would use based on the use case and stuff like that. But we were able to essentially let all of the B2B prospects know that we have these use cases. And then, you know, asking them like, what is your biggest challenge right now? What are you facing? And if there's anything that you could do to change that, what would that be? Um, so using story branding to like bring it all back, like because we had that framebook and framework, <laughs> because we I had that framework, framebook is great. Framebook, <laughs> yeah. Because we had that framework, and not only marketing was following it, but it was also happening on you know the sales calls that we were having. Um, and then it was, you know, like from, uh, like sales development and then all the way through, you know, account executive and deal closure, we were able to track and measure, uh, how effective that was for us. And, you know, my time there essentially like in terms of inbound pipeline, we started at zero and by the time I left, we were well into the double di digits of millions um, in pipeline. And I owe a lot of that to story branding and enabling me, enabling the sales team 
and even, you know, enabling and getting confirmation from our executives that this is, this is the direction we want to take. And um, if we didn't have that, I feel like it would just have been shooting in the dark. Yeah. If you don't understand the pain points and how you're trying to help your uh, prospect, then why even try it all? Um, because it, then it's just, it becomes a, like more, you know, that's just selfish, but I guess it was a business. But like, if you're out here working for a company and you're trying to make a difference in the world in, you know, a certain industry, you really have to make sure that you're aligning with that, um, that top level decision maker and prospect that you have. If you're not like, it's just, they're going to ignore you. They're not going to want to talk with you. It, it comes off super, super salesy. And yes, you're selling a product, but we didn't want to be like a salesperson. We wanted to be more of an advisor. We want to make sure that we're advising you and giving you what you need as our customer to be successful in using our product and also be successful within your own job and for the, you know, your team, be, be successful in the leader that, that you are. So really focusing and focusing in on those things helped us to, to scale really quickly. And we made it repeatable, scalable, and we were able to accomplish a lot in five years. And, um, I have to shout out, uh, Ryan Corey and, um, Ralph Sita. They were our co-founders. Um, they, they were, amazing. And like I said, allowing me to, and my team, you know, allowing us to fail forward and figure it out and, you know, just do what you got to do, but let's, let's figure it out. Let's iterate and um, let's try and make sure we have a product that is needed. So let's, let's break this down a little bit. So story brand is a framework by Donald Miller. It's a seven part book. Um, He's got a ton of material on it. You can follow him on Instagram. He's got a podcast about building um, your business. Uh, it's it's a series I followed. I actually had my team do a breakout room three or four years ago, which was really yeah. fun around the seven parts of story brand. And really what it is, just to like simplify this for our listeners, is it's basically taking the standard framework you use in writing a narrative, any narrative, usually it's used in fiction or nonfiction or even in playwrights or, or um, screen plays. And it's basically the hero's journey. Yes. It's the hero's journey. And the important thing about this framework and the aha moment for everyone who reads it is that as the brand, you are not the hero. No, you are the guide. You are the guide, but that's sort of this moment of like, oh, yeah, right. It's not all about you. Like, it's all about you. <laughs> You're the Yoda, though. I mean, which is yes. pretty cool to think about. That is. He's lost Star Wars references throughout the book, <laughs> and you get to be Yoda. Like, what better way to go on this adventure than to feel like you are you are Yoda and Obi Wan um, yeah. in in this hero's journey. Yeah. Um, and the hero being these personas you're talking about. So for you, Cami, that sounds like it's really the first step mm-hmm. is figuring out who are you even talking to? Yep. 
right? That ICP, that primary audience. And it sounds like for you, um, for Cyber, you had multiple. Yeah. Right. You, it's those five, those five personas you talked about. And then mm-hmm. from there, you figure out what problems they're having, right? When you think about Luke <laughs> and the big existential problem he had and trying to, you know, wipe out the Death Star. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. It's, I've only, I, I do like Star Wars, but story brand Donald Miller tends to use it a lot because it's easy. We all understand it. Um, But it is right. Like in cybersecurity, it is these big existential problems of like what these products are trying to solve. It's not the products and how they work themselves. They tend I don't know if you found this, Cami, and maybe this was sort of where you were trying to repivot cyber, but it's like, it's not really about your features. No, (laughs) it's not. We hated feature selling um it why would why should why does that matter that doesn't tell me anything um very much a value-based selling is I don't know if that's a term but that it is, is now no oh, it is now yeah that is <laughs> VBS that is what we <laughs> we did at um at Cyberary and there was actually one point where my CEO was like if there's a feature in this email, you're not sending in. I was like, okay, um, no features. Awesome. And, but the challenge, that's a challenge, right? Like that really helped me to take a step back. Like think again, back to the story branding and you know, what, how do you talk about this plan? Um, you know, and, and make sure that you're doing it in a way that doesn't come off as salesy, but it comes off as guiding. <laughs> yeah. So it's a solution, right? So your audience has a problem yep. and you're trying to give them the solution, just like Yoda yep. did with teaching Luke how to use the force and, and raise all of the things. It's what's, you know, the force was essentially the feature, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. But he wasn't talking about it as a feature, right? He was talking about the outcome that was going to essentially yeah. happen. And really it's that it, it is that like, what, what are, what is the hero trying to achieve in this? What is the solution they're after and being that guide and how to achieve that solution with a clear plan, which is what you mentioned. So uh, Donald Miller mentions three, like you should keep things simple and in threes. I'm sure that there are really like seven to 10 steps on what yeah. people need to do in terms of how to achieve this ultimate solution. There's probably a lot more in there, um, but keep it like, what are the three things? Like they need a discovery call to understand like what it is you do, what the pricing is going to be and how they implement it. Right. And then the second step is, well, how do I get this thing started? And then third step is like, how do I keep this thing going? Right. Like keep it simple and simple is hard. Yeah. Simple is hard. Um, and it's super, you know, interesting that you bring up those those three steps, because something else that we started to also implement was having customer success more involved. Um, by the time I was, it was probably like a year before I left, but ultimately these are the people who are, are implementing a lot of what you're, you know, what you're going to be doing. And they're the ones that, you know, really are that guy. Once you, once they buy, and they're on, you know, as a as a customer, like the CSM becomes the guide. So we wanted to figure out how we could allow CSMs to do their, you know, main focus of retention and 
upsell expansion, but also make, you know, have them on these calls, um, not necessarily discovery, but I would say like after the trial, um, we would want them to be there as, you know, a secondary resource if they want, hey, like, I would love it if you could set up, you know, my own career path that I have for my company. And then like that CSM helps them to do that. And that is a sticky feature. Um, but it's more like the, they focus like, okay, well, why, why do you want this career path? What does this lead to kind of trying to pull that story out of them as well? Um, because once you pull that story out, you're able to then when it comes time for renewal, you retell that story of what you did to help them. Um, and so, yeah, we, that was, it was definitely interesting in trying to balance their time. Um, but it was, was really helpful having them there. Um, and another thing I meant, um, you mentioned, um, the problem, right? So another thing that was difficult with Cyberry was a lot of people didn't know that they had a problem, like that related to, to training. Um, and you know, you come from this brick and mortar space of in-person boot camps. You're gone, eyes off glass for at least a week, going through training and doing a lab, but you're literally only doing it that week in a boot camp style. And so, like, how do you keep up? Right. So we like that was it, that was such the norm. Um, you know, before Cyberary was um became a company that we had to educate what that actually meant and how much money, because also boot camps, I think cost like five to $10,000 like per person. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, you can do the same thing, give them access to continuing education, um, make this part of, you know, their, you know, quarterly monthly goals that they have to achieve X, Y, Z. Um, and, uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, make this part of the goals uh, while also saving money um, and, you know, being able to potentially spend more on another product, another another headcount. Like um, it was really interesting uh, having those conversations and educating people of the problem um, because it was like kind of that I don't want to like that switch from being in the classroom to being online virtually and doing something. So and knowing that they had another option than boot camps, like, yeah. That, and that there was more of a cost effective way and mm-hmm. that your company could contribute to that. I always think that's such an, a huge moment in time for the end user of like, Oh, like I don't have to yes. pay for this out of pocket. Tell me more. Yes, exactly. Um, so you have a plan, you create a clear plan, like we talked about those three steps, and then it says calls to action, right? Like, I think, mm-hmm. I feel like there's this shift that's happening. I don't know if you're feeling it, Cami, but it it feels like people are, like, there was sort of this moment in time where people sort of wanted to get it, to get their foot in the door from a sales perspective of like, let me just connect with you. And then let me just have a quick call with you. And then let me figure out what all your problems are. And then let me figure out how to sell you. Right. And I feel like people, sales teams in particular are getting a bit better. At least I hope they are at, um, being very clear 
like this is a sales conversation. I want to figure out what your biggest challenges are. And then I want to see if there's opportunity for here for us to connect and solve those for you. And if not, then not a big deal. But I feel like there's more transparency that's happening around that because people are tired of feeling like the carpet sort of being pulled out from underneath them. Do is that shift happening here? I feel like StoryBrand is very much a proponent of that. Like be very clear with what your outcome needs to be. I am definitely seeing more of that. And on the marketing side, um, I'm actually seeing a lot of marketers start to, I don't want to say call people out, but call people yeah. out. And, you know, they'll hide who it is and whatnot. But like, I think that that is a marvelous way to get feedback and to understand. But like, I, I think I like there was one thing I saw on LinkedIn and like this CISO was pretty upset that someone was just like, I'll give you $300 to do a to do a demo and didn't talk about like anything else. Just like, here's $300 so so, to me. Yeah. And it's like, why, like, why aren't you understanding? Like before you, re- and like, it was a, a personal, I'm pretty sure like a personal message. So like, instead of doing that, like, why don't you understand, do some re- more research on who you're reaching out to, where they work, where you think there might be pain points because there's similar ones that you've addressed within the same industry, stuff like that. And so when I saw that, that was very like, um, I, I liked seeing it just because I think that it enables sales to dive deeper and not be just about close one, close lost. Um, and especially sales development. Um, and I'm, I think I'm also seeing a shift where sales development is starting to roll up to marketing, um, which is what I advocated for at SiteGain. Um, I think that that makes so much sense because they're the first person, um, in terms of like sales that's getting that message across when they're connecting one-on-one. And if that message isn't in line with marketing and you're not held accountable to the same things marketing's held accountable for, um, pipeline, then how how do you, you know, how do you ensure that you're taking direction and learning? Um, and I like seeing that. Um, not to say that sales doesn't do a good job of, you know, leading sales development. I think it's just shifting a little bit where sales is focused on new business or expansion revenue and then sales development top of top of funnel um, is focused on pipeline and getting those people in the door because that's all Mark, you know, we're, you know, we're top of funnel, we're doing demand gen and we should be partnering with sales development on those strategies that we're doing. Um, So I like seeing that shift. And I think I'm willing to bet that some of those, you know, messages and things we've been seeing across LinkedIn, like sales developments under marketing, if if we're starting to see that change, it just feels like marketing is having, um, or maybe is being more intentional with sales development, um, which I just, I really like seeing it. Yeah. It's been a lovely shift. Yeah. Um, I think it's an important shift too. The other thing that Donald Miller talks about in his story brand that I actually want to kind of like, I I was a big proponent of his full framework years ago. And now that, and I've been using it, but now that I'm rereading it in talking with you, Cammie, I, I want to push back on this last, on the second to last one a bit about 
discuss the potential for failure. I think that has seen its day. Like people are going to make their own decisions. They've done their homework. They know what the failure is. They don't need us to point it out to them. You know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt are dead. It's, it's no, yeah, I have seen the fear-based marketing, FBM, if you will, like that is completely done with. I feel like it, even a black hat, like I saw nothing like they already know, like we don't need to tell them they have a problem or they're failing at their job. Like that makes no one feel good um instead be the be the partner so yeah that's that's super interesting and I think that that's been for me like at Cyberry we never really did anything like fear-based um but especially at side game I'm like absolutely are we not going to do anything where we're trying to instill that xyz is going to happen um to someone if they don't use our product, because that is not a real tactic. They should be wanting to use it because it's going to help with XYZ and further protect their company and make them honestly, like makes them a better leader. You know, we're able to give, you know, empirical data. So now you can go to the board with one slide and know for sure, are you protecting something or not? And if you weren't, how did you remediate it? And sorry, I'm doing a little pitch of psyche and I didn't mean to do that. But um, it's nothing, nothing fear-based, just yeah. more yeah. on the solution to the problems that you're facing. Yeah. So Donald, we we love you. And we know that this is the framework in which like it, in which story happens and the hero's journey where you do sort of need that. Um, it's sort of that psychological moment of like, why is this person so hell bent on making this thing happen? And it's because of that potential failure. Yes. But our audience already is, knows what their potential failure is and they know what they're up against. We don't need to point that out. So let's just focus on the success, which is really how you end the story of like the outcome of why working with your product is going to help them succeed in their jobs at the end of the day. So that is story brand, y'all. Jump on board. We're happy to answer any questions you have. Amy is clearly an expert here as well. Um, we could talk about this all day. And so, Cammy, just to wrap up here in terms of the story brand framework, in terms of what you've done from implementing it, is there any last piece of advice before somebody picks up the book? to help them get started or uh, wish I had known this thing before I began this journey? What, any last piece of advice you want to leave with folks? Um, test. Once you figure out what you want to be leading with, test as soon as you can and have measurables and hold yourself accountable to goals that you want to try and reach by, you know, implementing the story around. I know it, it, it seems like it can be difficult to actually measure doing something like this across messaging um, and seeing seeing an impact. But if if you're doing, if you're changing copy on pages, like you can implement A-B tests, you crazy egg, it's a great product to use. Where are people clicking? Where are their eyes going? Where are they scrolling? Just test, iterate, figure out what's working, figure out what's not working and figure out the why. Um, and never be afraid to change. I think like I've done story brand so many times. I can tell you that the first time I did it at Cyberary was not, um, what we were doing year five. 
We, you know, we, you, you always are, you have to pivot with the market. So I would say test, iterate, fail forward, fail forward. Yes. Forward. Cammie, this was lovely before we close out real quick. I know we're at time, but one quick question for you, because people uh, need to know you more than the marketer that you are. You're more than a marketer. Have you picked up any new hobbies in the last few years, given COVID? Um, well, so I um, just, uh, me and my wife bought our first house um, this past February. And I've always been into decorating, but I have taken it to the next level after she sends you some pictures because it, we moved into a hundred year old, um, completely renovated Victorian home. And so like, we just had a huge Halloween party. I have three fireplaces, like decorated all of them. Um, my wife, I can see behind you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is for my wedding, but, um, yeah, I love putting like, I'm very much in marketing. I love seeing the outcome of decorating, like getting all the things. And then like, wow, I just made that. I just did that. Um, so I would say, decor and home decorating has really been my passion since moving in here. (laughs) That is awesome. I totally feel that I've done the same thing. I was like, the last time we bought a house, when we moved out, we did all the things to make it look better. And I was like, next time we're going to, the minute we move in, we're going to do all the things to make it look better. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I love that. Cammie, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Carrie. And thank you everyone. That was my conversation with Cameron. If you'd like to learn more about the story brand framework and how she's been utilizing it in a non-fear, uncertainty, and doubt way, please be sure to connect with her on LinkedIn to learn more. Cami, thank you so much for joining me. Cameron Regano, everybody. And thank you, listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, and share. I'm grateful to have you. Grateful you're here. This episode is brought to you by MKG Marketing, our digital marketing agency of experts that specialize in SEO, digital ads, and analytics. So it's by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG Marketing, music mix and mastering done by Austin Ellison. If you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketing.com to apply.